0: Hello and welcome to episode 59 of the Frio Big Footy Podcast. This week, Seppo and I will be going back, having a look at the North Melbourne game from last week, where Fremantle will probably put in their best four-quarter performance of the year, winning the game 17 goals 13-115 to 5 goals 12-42. As mentioned before, our resident Victorian Expo expert, Seppo, is joining us. How are you, mate? I am
1: fantastic and just looking forward to... A great analysis of that game and leading into the Adelaide game and uh, a game that I'll be heading across to view in Adelaide myself.
0: Yeah, I think it's the uh, Fremantle haven't managed to beat Adelaide at the Adelaide Oval, but I'm not even sure if they've played them there yet. I know they played Port last year, but I'm not sure they actually played Adelaide last year at Adelaide Oval. So it will certainly be interesting for them and obviously with uh, a bit of uh, danger money for yourself, Seppo, going over there with 50,000 rabid uh, Crows fans in the uh, in attendance, no doubt.
1: Yeah, it should be a good one. But uh, let's have a look back on the uh, last week's game. And oh, certainly the, the result with that 17 goals, 13 behinds, 115 versus the 5-12-42 against North was just, a like you mentioned, just a four-quarter four solid performance. And probably one game where we just didn't take that foot off. And everyone was sort of worrying the last couple of weeks that everyone would think that we'd take a foot off and let other teams in, but really just the pressure was up. Some of the players were back to their best. You'd you'd see from the tackling from Ballantyne and Main, just the pressure they put on and really forced North to turn the ball over, and we just kept on piling on the scoreboard and clipped over that 100 points again, which is fantastic to see.
0: Yeah, you're right. It certainly was a a solid four-quarter performance. Freo jumped out of the blocks early and sort of just managed to hold sway a little bit and then obviously create uh, turnover after turnover for the um, Kangaroos, and they would have obviously been very disappointed with their performance. But, you know, I think we scored nearly 80 points from turnover, sepo So it was just good to see that pressure up. And it was just interesting the way that, you know, Freo were able to sort of build it and win each quarter. And, yeah, you said just a four-quarter performance, and that's really what we wanted to see after the last few weeks where we've sort of turned it on in spits and spurts. But this time we're actually able to uh, put it together for the whole whole game.
1: And it's probably fantastic to see that uh, Nat Fife in his 100th game got a good result and had career-high numbers, I think with his 37 disposals, and really just <laughs> picked up the um, full vote to both coaches, and you expect there might be another three Brownlow votes going his way, and just great to see he's continuing powering on, but there's other guys like Neil and Barlow that have, are still, you know, it's not just Fife doing it all on his own, It's it's a whole complement of that midfield. So it's great to see.
0: And the other thing as well, even though our goal kicking has improved, we did miss a couple... I mean, Hilly missed one from about 20 metres out, not that difficult an angle. Subin missed one in when he got a head-high tackle of Zeebel, I think, in the second quarter there. Taberna missed a hit the post right on the half-time siren. So there was probably a number of chances in there, and even Mundy missed one, even though it was on the run from 45, you'd normally expect him to sort of hit them. So we still missed quite a few out of those uh, chances that we had, and yet um, still got away with a comprehensive 72-point uh, victory. So... You know, and I think it sort of showed this week, Seppo, in the uh, forums where most people have sort of said keep the uh, teams the same, there wasn't too many changes on, on offer.
1: Yeah, you can't change that winning formula and I suppose it was good to see that the subs vest came out for Pav was a bit of that precautionary, I can't remember if it was a hip or something they mentioned afterwards, that he was uh, just struggling a bit and it's good to see we can actually uh, use the vest to manage people and do a couple of positional changes and, and keep our list fresh. and. Like Ross mentioned today, you know, what we're doing is sustainable. It's not real hard work like we probably played in 2012 and like the Saints are playing back in 2009, that what we're doing out there is guys are, you know, bobbing up are playing their part and we haven't picked up too many injuries. So we're not playing a real hard style and there's no you know, contact or impact injuries, a couple of, you know, little soft tissue niggles here and there, but the guys are getting through unscathed and, and everyone's playing so well that it's just so hard to drop everyone. I know probably been calling for Duffield and Sutcliffe it probably had low numbers compared to usual but they've held their spot they've got a job to do and um, it's very hard I suppose you know the coaches wouldn't be uh, changing for the sake of changing because it's just unfair for the guys that have been doing their job but it's it's great to see that um, even the guys that have low numbers are keeping their spot and, and doing their role for the team especially down in defence.
0: Yeah you'd have to think down the track that they probably will and I know Ross has talked a little bit about you know the fact that injuries are going to become inevitable, but you think they will start resting guys maybe after, I reckon maybe from the, the Hawthorne game onwards, if they've got enough mm. wins in the bank. I don't think they'll do anything before the bye, unless they did like last week with Pav coming off, having a quarter off, something like that. But I'd be very surprised um, if they did anything before that. It's really important you know to make sure that that top two spot's sewn up. And it only takes a couple of poor weeks and you're back in the pack and... I just don't think uh, they, they'll want that to happen. The interesting point, Seppo, out of also on the weekend was looking at the game, when you look at all the players out there, the player with the lowest uh, disposal efficiency was Stephen Hill, so you wouldn't see his name at the bottom of the poll too often.
1: Yeah, and I didn't feature heavily in the votes for our board, so he's one player that probably you know has had one or two good games early on, he's probably just backed off the Pack a little bit more. So there's room for improvement with some of our really good players. And I suppose there's even players like Walters and Ballantyne that probably mentioned them in last week's podcast and the week before that they've got to start lifting. And they are now, and it'll be good to see. There's probably not too many players when you look across the whole list that are actually in career best form. I suppose Clancy Pierce and Daniel Pierce probably be the only two, I suppose, five. That would... And Neil, actually, (laughs) there are a couple that you probably consider they're playing the best footy they've played, there's still a lot more improvement. Maine's getting back there. Um probably Suckliff and some of the other guys are down a bit. I know Clark's improved, but it's good to see there's still improvement because if guys can get back to their best, it's gonna be a frightful side weekend.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other thing that was interesting last week, uh and I think I don't know if we talked about it or maybe just before the game, was the way they did use Stephen Hill. Like they decided with last year obviously we tag Boomer Harvey and sort of tried to negate him, where this time they actually put Stephen Hill on Boomer, and they sort of went head-to-head, so they sort of said, Boomer, you can do what you like going your way, but if you're not going to work backwards defensively, Hill will cut you up the other way. Now, Hill did get a lot of the ball forward of centre, but unfortunately just wasn't able to use it with that trademark uh, accuracy that he's sort of known for. So it'd be interesting this week, obviously, and we'll get to that a little bit later, when the same sort of thing's going to happen with uh, Dangerfield, because obviously in the past we've always had Crowley sort of try and blanket him. So it would be interesting to see the philosophy that Ross Lyon and the match committee take this week when they do play Dangerfield. But I do think you're right, Seppo, there has been a lot of improvement from that second tier of players, and that's really where we're getting that real um, impetus from, I think. you know, As you said, I think Zach Clark, obviously having that big pre-season behind him without sort of jumping into the music festival scene and uh, mm-hmm. Lockie Neal. And, you know, I think, guys, you know, Duffield I don't think has probably been at his best, um, since he's come, you know, since the pre-season, obviously where he had that injury. Even though he sort of, you know, still uses it effectively, I think he's got room for improvement. Sutcliffe, as you said, was another one. And it was interesting they moved Sutcliffe up a little bit more as well last week. But I thought him and uh, Lee Spurr in particular did a terrific job on Lindsay Thomas as well, keeping him yeah, very, very quiet. Lindsay Thomas
1: was kept really quiet, and he ended up picking four disposals and one goal one, and I think one of them was for a free kick or something like that that looked pretty... Uh, Unjustified or something like that. I think there was something in there that they managed to pick out, which the umpiring wasn't too bad in general. And I suppose a little bit of focus was going to come on Lindsay Thomas, but Spur did a fantastic job. I think half of it was the supply down there. I think looking back at that way the ball came in, that I just remember North taking a lot of wild shots from really far out, or if they were on the edge of the fifth, there they'd bomb it to the dangerous spot, with mop it up. Or they'd kick it really far out to the either side. And I suppose they're, looking back on their kicking efficiency, they kicked you know, five goals, 12. So, And that's almost what caused us to lose a game last year, I think, against North, was our bad kicking efficiency. So great to see them kicking more goals and behinds because I know last year that caused us to lose a couple of games.
0: I mean, yeah, they're kicking, particularly, I mean, the last quarter when the game was over, their kicking was particularly poor. But even before that, as you mentioned, like Luke McDonald, had a shot, and I think it was only about 40 out, and and sort of marked it on the line. Nahas took a shot from 45, and they didn't even have anyone down there. Johnson and McFarlane were sort of sitting on their own. So they just didn't seem switched on, and obviously I think losing Ben Brown out of the side is probably a little bit like Tabernacle for us, Seppo. And it doesn't necessarily, I mean, Brown gets a couple of goals or a goal and a half, but he just structures them up so much better, and I was really surprised that they went with Dumont and not with Aaron Black. If you think if Black's going to be any chance or even... Majak Dorr, they were going to go with him in that uh, particular instance. But, yeah, none of their small forwards. And obviously there's been a bit of criticism on the boards in particular about the form of probably not only our small forwards but our small defenders, and they certainly ban- bounced back last week with a terrific performance because it wasn't just sort of Lindsay Thomas who didn't get a sniff, but Nahas didn't, and even Higgins only got, I think, you know, one goal off a of crumb. But other than that, he was pretty quiet for the day as well.
1: Yeah, that's, yeah we were talking last week about players that will be have the ability to chop us up, but it was great to see we kept them quiet and and got the four points, and not only that, but a, a massive margin. It's one thing that I didn't expect us to go with that, and even at half-time when I saw the margin, you know, like, oh, we're at our trademark 30 points, it's going to maintain here, but just looking at the uh, little score worm, it's just a natural, almost linear line all the way up to our margin in the end, so it was good to see the guys just didn't stop and kept on pushing and, and got the result.
0: Yeah, and also just getting the, like some of our players who just sort of got back into, four, you know, like Barlow got a little bit more of the ball this week and that sort of thing. So I think it's, you know, we're heading in the right direction and, you know, every week it's not necessarily we're relying on one or two players, which is really important. we have sort of spreading that load, as they talked about, and that's, uh, you know, not just good for us. And I, the interesting thing, I think, for me as well, Sepo, is if we've looked at the way Prio was structured up, particularly in the middle of... I think most people would agree that our centre-square's ideal hit setup is Sandiland's in the middle along with Fife, Mundy and Lockie Neal. Yeah. But if we look at Barlow, Barlow hasn't played in the middle very little at all This in the first eight or nine weeks. He tends to play half-forward. the edge l- of
1: the square, comes in for the center bounces. I yeah. think, usually. Yeah.
0: But he hasn't really played in the centre or even in the centre-square too often. Even then, when they do it, at other times they're using Subin in there a little bit more. Pav comes up occasionally for one or two. It'll be interesting to see in the second half of the year whether it's a ploy by the match committee to sort of whether they'll start rotating those guys through a little bit more, like Barlow will spend a bit more time in the square, and then they'll rotate Fife or Mundy or Neil forward a little bit more and just rest those guys as the season wears on. Mm. Uh, yeah, as opposed, I mean, even Hill's been spending a little bit more time in that centre square as well. So it'll just be interesting to see if Barlow continues to play that role or whether they modify it as the season goes along. And just to give those guys a bit of a chop out in the middle, particularly if we get to a easier section of the draw where it sort of gives us a bit more time, or, you know, if we can get away with breaking teams up a bit early, we might be able to uh, then sort of run on with it from there.
1: The, the bit I'm impressed about is how Lockie Neal still managed to start in those centre um, bounces and follow at Sandy's feet the whole way around, pick up about 30, you know, 30 plus disposals every week and, His endurance must be uh, right up there this year. He wouldn't be playing in that position. So it's good to see that Lockie Neal's really improved, but it's a matter of consistency and and when he can do it and does he need to be managed right through the whole year. So you you know guys like Monday and Fife can do it, but it's whether Neal and and how much time the other younger guys actually get time through there. So, yeah, it will be interesting to see what they do later on and and whether we come up again, if it is the same combination of Sandy or Clark feeding down to those regular three, if it's going to happen... No, next well this this coming week against the Crows.
0: Yeah, and I mean, we'll get to that game in a minute. Is there any um, other things you want to bring up before we get to that uh, get to that point?
1: Right, oh, not at all. Other than the fact that I'm just happy with a, another win and we keep on going and it gives us a chance to equal our winning game record. I think nine in a row if we um, get this one this week.
0: And that's, uh, yeah, because it takes us back to 2006. And I was seeing today that I think we're even in the top 10 at the moment for best starts ever in a season. So hopefully the uh, guys can keep going. And obviously it was the other quick thing before we move on, it was just, you could just see that last week as well, the defence just looked so much more confident and structured with uh, McFarlane back down there, even though Pierce did a terrific, you know, pretty good job, I thought, you know, for the first two games, you know, just getting his feet wet and that sort of thing. But and I think he'll certainly be a player for the future, but we certainly look better with McFarlane in there and just you know, just use the ball and switching it at times, I thought was uh, he played pretty well. Mm. All right, well, moving on from that game, and obviously we'll see this week, Fremantle once again will be playing a Saturday night game at Adelaide Oval, and not too much in the ins and outs this week with only Ricky Henderson coming in and Sam Carriage going out with the ankle, and there's no change for Fremantle. I was probably a bit surprised, Seppo, that um, Smith didn't come in. He's got to have got a concussion about two or three weeks ago and there must be a little bit more to it than what we've seen so far because he hasn't come back and he would certainly be in their best 22 if available.
1: Yeah, he certainly is probably one of their better players down there. I think it was his second concussion for the year and I think this is now his third week off because I think he had two weeks off but obviously they've taken this one a bit more seriously and, and given the third week off and obviously I think they've lost... So uh, well they might have had someone else in the previous game, it might have been led that at that concussion, but he's been named in the side um again and well, they're obviously their back line's a bit weak compared to what we've probably come across in the last few times with Pape Adelaide. Looking at Sheeney, Talia, Lever, you know, Jake Kelly, Ricky Henderson as not the same likes of, you know, Otten, Rutten, Riley and all the other guys we've probably seen in the past that we've uh, come against. So it's a certainly different makeup to this Crows list and Looking across their whole injury um, list of compared to ours, I think they've got about fifteen players on ours. Well, we've got about three or four now that, you know, McFarland's back playing and Dawson looks like he's ready for the waffle again. There's uh, hardly anyone on ours, and almost half their uh, list on the crow. So it's stark contrast between the two.
0: Yeah, and having a look, I think on their uh, sort of, you know, as you said in their injury list, you just about think that just about all their centre line is out when you look at guys like Crouch and Sloan and I think there was a couple of their best interchange and as you said two or three of their defenders so they're certainly up against it this week and in terms of the injury list so if they do manage to get the win this week it will certainly be a really solid performance from them because anytime you've got you know probably more than one or two of your best players out it you know it really is tough for you and uh, let alone having that many. The other interesting thing before we sort of get into the nitty-gritty of it, uh, Sepo. It'll be interesting this week to see um, young Jake Lever as well, seeing he was the player that was sort of touted as a potential pick when Fremantle took Lockie Weller in the first round and I think Adelaide took him with a couple of picks after that, so it'll be interesting to see or might have been a little bit later, but he was certainly in the uh, mix for that pick that when Lockie Weller went so it'll be interesting to see how he goes, because he's certainly shown a bit in the last couple of weeks for sure. I haven't
1: seen him play in the flesh, so I'm actually look, looking forward to Watching him go around, and from all the reports I've, I've heard, he's playing a bit like Michael Johnson. So it's um, if I've got something like that, it's uh, good for the Crows. But I suppose it's uh, give us a chance for him to obviously come up against someone decent with our forward line ready to go with a combination of our tours of Pav Clark and Tabanoes get a bit a good stretch for their defence.
0: Yeah, the other I think their strength, obviously, if you look at it on paper, so obviously their forward line you'd have to think would be their main. Strength with, obviously, Taylor Walker, Eddie Betts in particular being their two main goal scorers. And and then you get a bit of a chop-out from Josh Jenkins. Charlie Cameron, you know, can have have a right. And if anyone remembers last year when Adelaide played here, he sort of turned it on for the first quarter and then sort of disappeared a bit after that. But I think he kicked three in the first quarter. And um, Tom Lynch is also a bit of an important player in terms of... Probably plays a little bit like Tabernod does for us. He's that player who can sort of push up into the wings and... uh, given option there when they're trying to bring that ball out of defence. But as you said, their back line looks a bit decimated and their midfield at the moment probably doesn't stack up deep enough. Their first, their initial midfield, you know, even when you're looking at guys like Thompson and LSEO those sort of guys, you know, Dangerfield obviously is class, but they're probably just, when they get into that second rotation, they're going to be struggling a little bit, I think, to keep track with Freo, particularly in the midfield. So for them to win, you'd have to think they're going to get a lot of ball. They'd have to... At least sort of match us in the midfield and get enough inside 50s to and, and convert, you know, because you have to think that with our midfield dominance, that we'll get a lot of ball inside 50.
1: Mm, I suppose the way that Adelaide have been winning their games this year has been on the back of bags of goals from Walker and Betts. So if we stop the supply to them and match, come up matching up against our, uh, you know, Johnson, McFarlane, and Spur for. Young Betsy or Sutcliffe or whoever may get him, it's it's going to go a long way to winning the game. But one thing I've just been reading up on the uh, Adelaide board about, you know, talking about their players and, and who probably had a shocker against the Giants, you know, they're coming off a loss, the Crows. Uh, it's probably their inability to hit targets and have a bit of composure. Um, I think guys like Van Berlo and um, Young Kelly are probably used to last few weeks, you know, not using exactly the best delivery and handballing to guys under pressure. So I think what our forward line can do with, you know, Maney and, and Ballers, that they're going to really struggle to bring the ball out from their back line and half back line. So if we can start to lock it in there and push it forward, they're really going to struggle under our pressure, which is just starting to get back to our best. So that's certainly one area that's going to really benefit us with our increased pressure. And I've been hearing a lot of, you know, North Melbourne players on interviews just, how hard it is to play against Freyland. It's one thing we caused North to do from last week. If we can bring that same type of intensity, um, the Crows are really going to struggle to bring the ball out and get some of the other guys like Dangerfield and, and Thompson into the game.
0: Yeah, you'd have to think that uh, Ellis Yolman will get the... Do you think they'll start the Ellis Yolman on five? Because he seems to be probably the more natural matchup? up uh, You know, he's got He'll a have
1: lines or Crouch or something run through with him. It'll be an t- interesting job, whoever gets the... Uh, the rough end of the stick of the job on five, but you just wonder if they just let him go. Surely they'll have to put something on him. They can't just let him run free. So, Yeah. And, for, interesting.
0: Fr- and for free, oh, it'll be interesting as well to see how they use uh, or how they attack Dangerfield. Obviously, in the past, they've used Crowley as a lockdown sort of tagger on him, and Dangerfield tends to spend a fair bit of time forward where they used to try and isolate him one-on-one. So it'll be interesting to see if Dangerfield does go down there this week whether they use someone like Ibbotson or Duffield on him, or whether they bring, you know, put that defensive mid on there, so it'd be interesting to see which way they go because they tend to be using Subin as that defensive midfielder, and obviously Subin would not be anywhere probably capable of matching Dangerfield down in the back fifth or in the forward fifty. So it'd be interesting to see if they switch him up if he does roll down into that forward fifty and rest, particularly if they try and isolate him one on one down there.
1: Yeah, I suppose when you look at Dangerfield's last performances every time we've had him i know he's dragged crowley forward and really worked him over there trying to push him under the ball and get over the top or try and beat him out in the space so we don't have that matchup anymore but i think dangerfield if you can actually not isolate him but put him into the mix put him under a bit of pressure he doesn't seem to perform quite well and he's easily tagged so you just wonder if might come down to clancy pierce if he's i know he's been named in the back pocket but that might be an opportunity for clancy pierce to run with dangerfield and put that constant pressure on him and don't let him get anything easy because when he gets out into space, it's it's on. But it's um yeah, one of Pierce or Um Subin's job probably going to be on uh,
0: danger. Yeah, it'd be also interesting to see how they use Taylor Walker because if, like, even in the last few weeks, like even watching GWS game last week, I didn't see all of it, but the, you know, I think the ha- bit and half and a bit that I did see, they were sort of using Walker I tend to be using him a lot more up the ground where he, you know, in the first game of the season, he looked really dangerous deep inside fifty. But then Jenkins, I don't think, has the tank. So it would be interesting to see how they do set up at Adelaide Oval and then obviously to try and combat Fremantle with their intercept marks because I think Interson at the moment is leading the league in intercept marks. And obviously Johnson as well is um, playing extremely well down the back as well. So it'll be interesting to see which way Fremantle line up on those particular players. You'd have to think after the job Spur did on Lindsay Thomas last week, they'll probably start Spur on... Eddie Betts, and then mm. uh, just sort of see and they'll probably use uh, Sutcliffe on Charlie Cameron because Charlie Cameron who obviously is Swan District's boy does show a bit of potential but can also be lazy so Sutcliffe may try and run off him as much as possible to be able to that be that creator out of the back back line
1: That's other one one? thing we've seen with sutcliffe has been playing sort of two sort of roles that playing deep at the, the lockdown but just recently, like you mentioned before, he's starting to push up a bit, and it's one thing that we want to see. And, and just a classic example of that was what Sheridan did when he came on as a sub and that little goal of the year nomination he got nominated for. Yeah, you know, starting the back line involved in a couple of links in the chain running right the way through and just linking up is something that we've probably seen from Sutcliffe a lot back in 2014, but not much this year. So it's a chance for. He Maybe, unless it's his role he's been told not to do it and it's um, someone else's job to do that, it's probably where Sheridan comes into the side. and You'd think looking at it the way it's named, he's probably a prime candidate for the Vest, being land last on the interchange, and you do that. usually they do it a couple of weeks in a row when comes on. If he does that again and plays that role, starting a lot from the half-back line and push forward, it's going to be uh, fantastic for our know, uh, game style.
0: Yeah, you'd have to think, as you talked about with the vest, I mean, Lockie Neal's certainly not going to get it. And, I mean, I'd be surprised if someone like Barlow, because Barlow's not that sort of impact player. He's more of that uh, sort of, you know, just accumulator over four quarters. So you have to think it'll either be Sheridan or Sutcliffe with the vest. Uh, And, I mean, I thought, uh, you know, Sheridan was very, very good last week coming on the last quarter. I know the heat was out of the game, but... You couldn't ask for more. He ran at 100% efficiency, nine touches in the quarter and a sensational running goal. So, I mean, you can't ask for much more. But at the same time, you hope for his sake that he doesn't become one of those guys who becomes like Constantly a superstar. gets sub. the best. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, no one could, you know, obviously he was good last week. I mean, as you know, Seppo, I'm quite a big fan of Sheridan's and, uh, you know, it was good last week to s- sort of show, you know, sort of some of those doubters, what, you know, what ability he does have. And I think... You know, give him another year or two and I think he's going to be a sensational midfielder for us.
1: Yeah, I think Ross has already started talking him up at the start of the year and saying he's a perfect replacement for Duffield when he starts to you know, get on and I know Duffield's been placed on the wing but you never know. I, you can't take too much into those initial placements of names on that uh, AFL site so it would be interesting to see if if you know Duffield's been given the vest again or something like that and saying Sheridan you're actually doing a better job than Duffield even though the numbers probably aren't comparable because they've had limited game time over the past couple of weeks but it's certainly one thing that you might consider an upgrade if Duffield's not back to his best he's starting to taper off it might be a chance for Sheridan to take his spot.
0: Yeah absolutely and and that's the thing I think more than anything Seppo is the fact that you know they no one wants to lose their spot so you know, you think there's no one's going to drop off at all because you've got guys like Mzungu and Crozier and that sort of stuff to just absolutely hanging to get a, you know, get a spot, so no one wants to lose it either. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, how they do uh, sort of play that whole four quarters again this week or, or whether they, you know, try and put them to the sword early or um, and also the way Ross Lyon uses the side to keep them going. So... Adelaide, as you said, have got quite a few new players in there as well, and particularly younger guys. You know, Obviously, as you said, Kelly, Lever, Mitch Grigg I haven't seen a lot of. Um, and then obviously you've got guys who came, like Chaney who came across from Hawthorne. So it would be interesting to see how those sort of guys uh, run because they tend to have a lot of older blokes, as you said, like Scotty Thompson, that sort of thing, or a lot of younger guys. So there's not much in between there for them.
1: And when you think about one of their best players, when I think about Adelaide, I'm thinking... Rory Sloan, I know it's a a player that Fife always talks up when he mentions him, and I think vice versa. I think Sloan's always talking Fife up, so there must have uh, something going on there between the two of them. But he's definitely one of their best mids and always seems to play well against us. So I'm glad he's not out there as part of their side. But stepping down from that, you're really looking at the likes of Dangerfield, Walker and Betts as the three most next damaging players that can have an impact on this game. So it's... uh, it's still, uh, you know, even though they're missing quite a bit, I suppose if we were missing the equivalence, we'd be really struggling, but it's all down to luck and we've got a fantastic, you know, run of luck at the moment and um, they look like they're struggling, but it, it'd have to be something terribly wrong for us to be able to lose this game because now they're in the mode of winning and no one lose lose their spot. We're um, going to have a bunch of guys out there and even with the late change, you know, someone could not come up and any replacements, I'm not sure how many they've flown with, if it is just Mzungu or Crozier and Griff have made the trip as well, there is a Waffle game on and this game's on the Saturday, so can't imagine them doing one or the other. So it's, um, yeah, going to be any replacement's
0: going to work out well. Yeah, I mean, if you have a look at the Adelaide list, it reminds me at the moment a lot of uh, probably the West Coast side, Sepo in terms of their midfield, apart from the fact with Dangerfield, they're not very big. A lot of their midfielders, I mean, Elsie Ullman is quite big, but if you look at their other guys, like Brown, Lions, Crouch, they're not big players and obviously they're going to be going up against, you know, arguably the biggest midfield in the comp. So, Mm -hmm. and like they have a couple of good key forwards, like, you know, with with obviously West Coast with uh, Kennedy and Adelaide with Walker, Um, Eddie Betts, they probably don't, Eagles, you know, probably have Lacroix in that sort of position, but, and then they've got, you know, the key back with Talia and uh, obviously when they had McKenzie in there. So it just sort of reminds me a little bit of that sort of thing and... You know, I mean, I sort of harp on it quite a bit, but you know, with the AFL, you know, it's more than often than not it's those bottom six or seven players that will determine the result. You know, you get, you know, what you're going to get from those sort of top guys, but if you get those bottom six or seven guys and they turn the ball over or aren't up to the mark, it doesn't take long for other teams to find them out very quickly. And I think that's going to be a case of that again this week, when particularly when the young blokes they've got with, as you said, 15 on the injury list and and not just 15 average players, but a lot of their best or starting midfielders as well.
1: Yeah, I suppose that's the uh, good point you raise about their bottom six because if those guys aren't up to it, a good size will capitalise on that and I think Freo bringing their pressure is the way to win this game and just make sure that all their players right the way through, no matter how experienced they are, are held accountable and we'll put the pressure on and hopefully get the result here.
0: Yeah, the other thing, obviously, I don't know if you saw much of the GWS game, but their transition defence between... When they were going forward, and then they, when they were losing the ball, GWS were just cutting them apart with their pace and and ball movements. So obviously, if they don't put any, if they come out with that same sort of pressure this week, it's going to you know potentially it could get pretty ugly pretty quickly for them. It's
1: another comparison you could say to the Eagles that Adelaide are a, a one-way running side and probably aren't as good on the defensive run once they uh, lose possession of the footy. And I think. Um, Many players, I think Van Bielo and Ricky Henderson and Wright and some of the others have probably been highlighted on the board It's not very good once they uh, lose the ball. They like to go one way.
0: Yeah, and, you know, guys, and particularly when you look at the runners that we've got in Maine, Walters and Ballantyne down there, if any of those three guys aren't going to run effectively both ways, they're going to get cut up, with. particularly if the ball gets over the back. Mm. So they'll, it'll certainly be a tough... Uh, any other sort of matchup stand out to you? Obviously, the other one was probably, like, is going to be Sam Jacobs and Sandilands. And uh, obviously, there's been talk over the last couple of years about Sam Jacobs being a potential, or certainly in the all-Australian mix for Ruckman. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see how him, obviously, he's not going to be able to do the whole game against Sandilands and Zach Clark. So, obviously, you think Jenkins is going to give him that bit of a chop-out. But it'll obviously be another good test for Sandilands this week after... Goldstein played pretty well against him last week as well.
1: Yeah, I suppose that everyone, well, Goldstein didn't play that well by his standards. I think Goldstein's had a a fantastic start of the year and then came across Sandlands and got a bit of a shock. So you think if everyone's been talking Jacobs up, he's got a big challenge on not only Sandlands, it's Clark as well. Clark's actually good at it now, not working in that centre square, but what he does around the ground and he's probably leading our, I think he's shared lead with contested marks along with Fife or Marks around the ground, and everyone's been talking about how Mark, uh, Ruckman these days aren't marking the ball. Clark's the uh, exception to the rule, and um, doing really well. So hopefully, Clark can do as well as Sandaland does, and and beat the matchups of whoever up he's against.
0: Yeah, it was interesting last week, even going back to that North game, Seppo, That North won the centre clearances fifteen to seven, yet we won the stoppages around the ground thirty to fifteen. So. Once again, it probably showed when they had the ball in the right conditions and it was sort of one-on-one, you know, and Goldstein was able to sort of tap it there. But when, obviously, in the stoppages, when you sort of had a collective side, obviously Fremantle were quite dominant in sort of getting two to one the other way and, you know, obviously created a lot of uh, of our drive inside 50. So it'll be interesting to see how Fremantle address that la- la- after only getting seven centre clearances last week. Mm-hmm. The other interesting thing is, once again, Fremantle only using 105 out of their designated 120 interchanges. So it's interesting to see, and I think uh, North Melbourne only used 100. So it's interesting to see at the moment teams seem to be dropping, you know, 15 or so interchanges below the sort of allowable amount. So
1: It's almost like they know what the AFL are going to do and drop it, and they're trying to lead towards getting their numbers down. If it's going to get down to the 100 mark, you'll probably see a lot more people just by the end of the year trying to get that you know, rotations limited and just head towards if there's gonna be another sharp change of people have been talking a hundred, some people are saying eighty, but it's great to see our club if if it is intentional that they're heading that way and getting used to keeping players out there longer, you know, five resting forward and some of the guys swapping around just to manage their time and, and keep that rotation. I suppose lack of injury as well has probably helped that because once you start to get hurt a bit it it um can get you. But we're doing quite well there.
0: Yeah. And I think the it'll be a good opportunity, I would think, for some of those, you know, particularly guys like Zach Clark in the forward line because if you look at Tali, he's going to obviously be having his hands full with Pav down there. And if you look at the other sort of players, that Levers obviously a second-year player, so he's going to, you know, probably could be out muscle. Rory Led's not that big. I think Jake Kelly's 189. Ricky Henderson tends to be more of a uh, rebounding, um, rebounding sort of half-back player. And then Cheney. I mean, Cheney played a bit above himself last year, I thought, you know, with uh, Hawthorne, but he doesn't seem to be quite as good this year. So it'll be interesting to see how they go because, I mean, even Chaney's only 186 centimetres. So if they do get their bigs down there and even Sandlin's resting, it's going to be tough for that Adelaide defence because they can't really bring Jacobs down if, if Jenkins is getting slaughtered in the ruck. Mm. All right. Any other um, points you want to bring up on this one?
1: Other than the big point for the game is it's an Indigenous round and Freo are going to be wearing their white away strip with the Indigenous three boomerangs on instead of uh, chevrons and you'll notice Adelaide Crows will be in a a different strip and if you jump on their website or something you can see images of what they're going to be wearing which is different to the usual black with the red and yellow stripes through it. So it's uh, going to be interesting for the guys on TV watching it running around and I suppose Freo, it's not too dissimilar to what we used to with a, the uh, predominantly white with the purple um, chevrons on it, um, but it's always fantastic to see the you know the indigenous people on it in this round, and it's going to be good for our um, indigenous players on the list. You know we got Johnson, Hilly, um, Walters, you know Griffin's on the emergency list might not play, but. Um, Daniel Pierce as well. So it's, it's good to see that there's a lot of guys out there that will uh, represent themselves quite well on the day. I think it's going to be a, a good night. And it's a shame that the uh, dream time of the G is being played at the exact same time as ours. And it's one game I usually like to tune in and watch every year. But uh, unfortunately, there's a, a higher priority match on to be uh, watched. And I'll be over there myself in Adelaide watching this game.
0: Yeah. And I think it's terrific that obviously celebrating the Indigenous round and Over the years, I think Fremantle probably, along with Essendon, tend to have a higher percentage of Indigenous players than probably most clubs. And though the Gold Coast Suns also have quite a heavy contingent, but you know, and it's great to see those jumpers out there. And most of the jumpers always look fantastic too. So it's interesting as you're talking about Seppo. We've had quite a few Friday Saturday night games this year, and they always tend to be up against another really good game. And yet the Friday night games this year have been, let's be honest, pretty shitty. With yeah, um, with Carlton
1: and Richmond dominating the uh, fixture for all those it's going to be a while before we actually start to see good friday night games on the uh, cards
0: yeah so i mean but obviously next week we ha- we do have a friday night clash house for the first time this year with the against richmond so that should be uh good to see all right for any uh any sort of any sort of news with the anything else on the board sebo with the tipping or uh fantasy or no it's all going
1: quite well running on the board this year and um, just looking forward to uh anyone that wants to come along for the podcasts. You know, we haven't had too many guests on this year, but we're looking forward to hear you hear you and get your voice on and give myself or centurions a shout out and um, get yourself on. All you need is a Skype account and um, uh, yeah, your open voice and thoughts and well, lovely to have some new voices on and, and, and get yourselves on the future podcast on our board.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The more sort of opinions on there the better and for those who also for those who haven't had a chance to listen, obviously we had the Kepler Bradley one on last week, Seppo and uh it's definitely worth a listen with some interesting uh points he brought up about uh about his time in footy.
1: Yeah, it's a fantastic listen if you haven't already, so check out the Kepler Bradley podcast special from last week.
0: And we will we'll try and do a couple more throughout the year, so we'll see if we can get a couple of other ex-players on, on board and uh Have a bit of a chat with them as well and just to see what they're up to and give a bit of an insight into the club as well. All right, thanks again for joining us this week, Seppo. hope you have a safe flight over and enjoy the game over in Adelaide.
1: I will do, and uh, my tip is going to be, I think, closer to the 50-point margin. I think I'm quite confident. I usually say 30, 35 every week, but I'm going to bump it out. And now having a look at Adelaide's um, injury worries and where we can beat them, I'm going to go for a big nine, goal
0: Victory. Yeah, uh, I'm pretty confident as well. I, I think I think it'll probably be close at about seven. I'm going to go for a 42-point win. Uh, I just think, I don't necessarily know Freo will, particularly if they have that short turnover again, I think if Fremantle do get a reasonable lead, I just think they'll sort of play a bit of tempo footy over, footy over there and uh, save themselves up for a big clash next Friday night. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if Fremantle do get out to a... Reasonable lead that they do play a bit of tempo footy in the third and fourth quarters. But Mm. time will tell. All right, thanks again, Seppo, and we will catch you again next week. And once again, if anyone likes to join us, please make sure you sort of DM myself or Seppo, and it would be great to have you on board. That's it for this week. Hopefully everyone will enjoy it and get to the game also next week for Friday Night Footy. Bye for now.